from truth to truth, wild, unfettered, untamed. Lightning Struck Lokians is a podcast by and for followers of the Norse trickster god Loki, with anecdotes on all things pagan and craft inclined. Welcome to our sixth episode of Lightning Struck Lokians. I am Sarah. I'm Birdie. And today we're joined by our guest, Jude. Hi, I'm Jude. I've known these two for a while now via the internet, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. There's a trigger warning with this episode because we're going to be talking a lot about death. So if the imminence of your death and <laughs> demise, <laughs> mortality, <laughs> bum you out in any way, shape, or form, spoiler alert, we're all going to die, then this episode is definitely not for you. Um, <laughs> So we brought Jude onto the podcast today because Jude is probably the most experienced one I, I know who works with <laughs> health. We're going to be talking about her, how she's perceived, some of her lore and personal experiences mostly. Couldn't think of a better person to have on but Jude. And I've known him for <laughs> as long as I've been a pagan pretty much. So he's pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> so Jude, what is it you do exactly? What you do professionally? Because it really ties into working with health. Yeah, absolutely. So for the past, it'll be three years this December, I have been an apprentice at one of the funeral homes in my local area. I help run funerals, meet with families, do transfer removals, which is basically bringing the deceased from wherever it is they've passed back to the funeral home. I do the embalmings. I do a lot of the paperwork, basically any and everything to do with funeral service. I'm kind of your guy. Oh, like a jack of all trades, like they can just call you in for any position. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I even do some of the advertising for my funeral home. I do the graphic design and all of that. When they asked me to be an apprentice, this whole legal process that you have to go through, there's a lot of paperwork you have to submit. But one of the only requirements is that one, you work a certain number of hours at a funeral home per month, and two, you either are enrolled or planning to enroll in a funeral science program. I did that second one for sure. I graduated last May and now I'm just waiting to take my official official tests to get fully licensed and be a funeral director. That's so cool. As a funeral director, is it kind of what you still do or is it like a level above that? Basically, the only thing that I'll be able to do that I'm not already doing is go to a funeral by myself, basically. So right now, if there's any funerals that I work where it's a full body in a casket, legally, there has to be a licensed funeral director for those burials. I can still go on them, but there needs to be another licensed director with me. But everything else, like if it's a burial for a cremation or bringing someone to a crematory, I can do that. No problem. <laughs> I never really thought about that. Like, yeah. I didn't realize I how mean, many I, parts go into it. Like, you're not really paying that much attention at a funeral. I know I'm not. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> Me and the uh, guys at the office kind of joke that we're party planners, but not for a fun party. So 
we do all of the the prep work for the actual deceased, but a lot of what we do is just calling cemeteries and churches and just getting every like all the dates and times to line up. Sometimes it's like herding a bag of cats. So <laughs> dead or alive, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when did you first get interested in the funeral business? So I first got interested in the funeral business uh, after my father passed. I was eight at the time. My dad was really young. He was. 31 when he passed away. He passed away at home, which a lot of people don't really do anymore. So that kind of, it definitely stuck with me for a very, very long time. And just how professional the funeral directors were at the time versus just like the medical staff that we had to deal with. I definitely shied more away from like wanting to be like a doctor or a nurse because I, you know, every, or maybe not every, but a lot of little kids are like, I want to be a doctor. And I, had kicked that around for a little bit, but after my dad died, I was like, ugh, no, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. So I kind of, as a backup plan, like if any of my other career choices that I think of down the line don't work out, I'm like, all right, funeral directing, the job's always got to be there. I might as well try that out. I've got job stability. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So kind of going off of that and knowing that you wanted to work in the funeral industry, how did you know you were going to work with Hal? Like, what was your first experience with her? Because I would assume that working in the funeral industry, you would have very close contact with her as she's the goddess of death. Yeah. So a little bit on kind of how I got into the funeral industry first, because I think it was um, kind of Loki's doing, to be quite honest. Uh, I was working at a coffee shop and my current boss was a regular at the coffee shop. So he kind of knew me a little bit there, but I had never really worked up the courage to talk to him and be like, oh, I think funeral stuff is really neat because I didn't want to be, <laughs> you know, that goth kid that's like, oh, I like dead stuff. That's that's really cool. <laughs> I had been waxing poetic too. To one of my best friends about how like I had gotten a degree beforehand in science journalism and I couldn't really ever find a job which is why I was working at the coffee shop and I had always had funeral directing on the back burner so I felt like it was the time to really jump into it and, and try it out and it turns out that my best friend was friends with a local tattoo artist who does all of the tattoos for my current boss and this tattoo artist's name is Loki. <laughs> so Loki, the tattoo artist, put me in contact with my future boss and essentially helped me get my job at the funeral home. <laughs> you can't have a coincidence with that. Like that's yeah, not exactly. a coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> There's quite literally no subtlety here at all. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> my first real interaction with Hal, I had been working at the funeral home for maybe three-ish months at that point. I know I had put in my application to become an apprentice, but I hadn't gotten the acceptance in the mail yet. So I was kind of in limbo. And um, it was a really hard day at the office that day. And we had just gotten a very, very, very young baby that was going to be cremated. And I got the short straw at the office and I was the one that had to make that drive over. So I was on my way over to the crematory, which is just the next town over. So it's not really a super long drive, 10 minutes if the traffic's really bad. And I was just sitting in the hearse and listening to the radio and like just not feeling too great because, you know, death is always hard. But when it's someone that young, it's it hits everyone hard, including the funeral directors that are taking care of them. So I was kind of crying and on my way over to the crematory and hell just appeared in the, uh, the hearse, in the passenger seat, kind of out of nowhere, made herself very, very well known, scared the bejesus out of me. <laughs> so I was not expecting anyone to show up in the car with me. That was a little, a little much, but she didn't really say anything and kind of left as quickly as she showed up. But I just kind of got this feeling that 
everything was going to be okay for that kid. They were in hell's hands from that point. And that's really when I started doing more research on her and like really getting connected with her. Super powerful. That's incredibly powerful. I think I would probably like scream if that happened to me because that sounds terrifying. (laughs) You're just like in the car by yourself and all of a sudden there she is. (laughs) Oh, especially in a hearse because, you know, the only other occupant in that car was someone that was not supposed to be moving. So... The brief experiences I've gotten of her, she seems intense, but she always just seems to be that kind of reassuring presence. I don't want to say it's like a nice Christian, like, oh, they're going to heaven now. It feels better than that. It feels like this deity is making sure no matter what they were in life, indiscriminately, she's taking care of them. Yeah, the few times I've talked to her, she's always been, she's very blunt, which (laughs) I think you have to be in her position probably, but she's also been extremely kind because I have a lot of, I I don't know if you experience this, Jude, because you're around death so much, but I get a lot of like existential crises about death. Um, (laughs) They just kind of show up out of nowhere. And that's how I talked to her the first time, actually, because I was like in bed panicking slightly about my, you know, my mortality. But, you know, she always seems like the kind of person I would want to take care of me when I die. Do you ever get existential crises? I did a lot before I kind of got into the funeral industry, like especially losing my dad so young. I would have quite a few growing up, like just these horrible existential crises. But that kind of disappeared after working at the funeral home, for sure. I'll also watch, you know, any horror movies or any movies in general that have funeral homes or anything to do with the funeral industry. And I'll sit there and I'll be like, well, that's bullshit. Or that's not how we do that. Or <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> exactly. I've, I've gotten to that point. I guess the main thing is just as scary as death can be. And like, trust me, I know it from a firsthand daily basis. It can be terrifying. It's not something necessarily that you need to be like afraid is going to happen at any moment. Definitely don't let your death anxiety get so bad that it's hard to function in day-to-day life. And if your death anxiety is that bad, I do heavily suggest at least attempting to educate yourself, even just a tiny, tiny amount, because the fear of the unknown is really what a lot of people seem to tie into with their fear of death. It's not some boogeyman waiting to get you. You don't have to be terrified. So breaking into the more pagan practice sort of deal, how would you say that, I know a lot of people feel like sometimes their job is their calling. Mm. Um, Do you you feel similarly? I didn't quite at the beginning just because it was quite a lot to learn in a very short period of time. And I do learn okay under pressure, but it was just such a different thing. And the funeral industry, admittedly, is still very much an old white guys club. And if you're not the son of a funeral director, everyone sort of looks down on you a little bit. So there was also a lot of proving myself that I had to do. It's not the best. (laughs) It's changing. It just, it's taken a while. At the very beginning, I was more focused on just trying to get through my job and like learn the things that I needed to learn. But as I got better and better at what I do, there was more of kind of a melding between my pagan practice and what I do for work. One of the first things that I kind of learned how to do once I started down my pagan path was become a psychopomp. I can speak to the dead, not all the time, thankfully, because sometimes Mm -hmm. they don't shut up and you need to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I I do speak to them and usually my role in that sense is if there's something that they've done that's unfinished or they're having trouble kind of going to the other side and crossing over, I'm just basically a therapist and I help them out and help them move on to the other side, so to say. I have had to do that a few times 
working in the funeral industry, especially with everything that's been going on in the world the past two years. There's, there's been a lot more people that I've needed to kind of assist in that way. Hal definitely has her hands full. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. It just no. seems like she's, she's calling a lot of people recently. I think it was last year or the year before, after everything had started in the world, she came to me and she was like, I have work for you, but you got stuff you got to work through first. And I like <laughs> have yet to figure out what exactly that means. I assume <laughs> that means I have to work through my fear of death probably first, which I'm trying to. And I don't know exactly what she meant by work, but my <laughs> guess because i hear so clearly other things my guess is it's along those lines mm. i'm a little intimidated i'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things that like freak me out like i don't think i could ever be a medium i don't think i could relay messages like that would just be <laughs> that'd be too much but you do you such a fine job <laughs> <laughs> i hear dead people pretty clearly yeah sarah will text me she'd be like yeah i was up at two o'clock this morning because you know my relatives are speaking italian and <laughs> They won't shut up. <laughs> but I don't know Italian to make full sentences. And like these voices were definitely doing that. So, uh, See, I just yeah. get one speaking uh, Welsh or like old Gaelic. So <laughs> I'll wake up at like 3 a.m. and be like, what? <laughs> yeah, can you just shush? <laughs> You're a really good medium. Someone was talking about how they just... They don't even honor the dead in their home. A lot of heathens or pagans in general kind of just shy away from hell, have cast her as this, not necessarily malevolent, even like just like this thing that you need to be arm's length away from. Otherwise, death will always find you or death will become easier to you or whatever. But what's your experience been like, Jude, dealing with these misconceptions? Because you definitely don't hold hell at an arm's length. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Uh, in fact, on my, my altar, I have a, a really big altar in my living room and it's it's for Loki and for Hell. And she's started to dominate the altar quite a lot, actually. So no, she's she's right in my living room. And I have multiple paintings in my bedroom of skulls and other various dead creatures and things. Death is very much a part of my life. I find it so interesting that so many people want to keep it at this arm's length because you can't have life without death, really. Like, we need things to die so that those nutrients go back into the ground and can get reabsorbed into this whole, like, beautiful circle of life. Inviting hell into your life and into your working space doesn't mean that you're necessarily, it's not like some black spot on your hand a la Pirates of the Caribbean and you're going <laughs> to die in seven days because you watched the ring, you know? It's, <laughs> it'll come for you when it comes for you. And my main thing is as a pagan and as, you know, this, a funeral director, I just want people to be more educated on death itself. And I'm not saying that it's going to be easy because it never is, but just having people be prepared for when that time comes and not be completely scared of it is really just my main goal and my main drive. Yeah, it feels like a lot of society definitely has a relationship that needs healing with the inevitability of death. Especially especially Christian American society, for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's like why I have that fear of it, honestly, is because of how I was raised. Every once in a while, with that existential dread comes the fear of, did I choose wrong and am I going to the Christian hell? And I know that's not the case, but I think sometimes when you mention hell, that's what people think of, right? Yeah, it doesn't help that the names are the same. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I remember I had mentioned to my mom once that I had talked with Hell, and she just got like wide-eyed, like, you what? I agree. I think it's very much a Christian and American especially thing that we all kind of deal with. It's ingrained in our society to be afraid. I mean, also Christians seem to see death as like a sin. There's like songs and hymns about them triumphing over death as if it's something to be triumphed over. Like... <laughs> It just casts death as this evil part of human life. It's not like, I think pagans especially see it as more like a cyclical deal. Like it's just, most pagans, I assume, also believe in reincarnation. That makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. So Jude, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't one that we wrote down, but you mentioned that in a way you have to have death to have life. Mm-hmm. So my brain is kind of making a connection. You can tell me if I'm really off here, but. Does that mean that hell is almost like a living goddess of sorts if she's the one bringing that part of the cycle to come? <laughs> yeah, that's that's certainly how I see her. You know, she's not quite on the same level as, say, like Freya would be in that sense. But mm-hmm. I do definitely see her as kind of the end of the cycle. And you have to have the cycle end for it to begin again. We couldn't really move on to that next step, that next thing, that next whatever is on the other side. Whether you believe in reincarnation or if you believe that you're just going to be in Helheim or Valhalla or insert, you know, afterlife name here. That's a really great way to look at that. I really like that. So Jude, how would you describe Hell since you work so close with her? How would you describe her physically and then like how she feels to you? I'll start with how she feels to me because I definitely was kind of feeling her presence before she showed herself to me. I would say she's her energy is surprisingly warm. It's still on the on the cooler side, especially since I work so closely with Loki and his energy is so fiery and so hot. She's definitely cooler than her dad, but still pleasant. I think the best way for me to describe it is like if you're out walking on the early fall night and it's like the air is just starting to get that crisp feeling. That's mm. that's kind of what her energy feels like to me. Helheim, you know, is always described as a super, super cold place. So that's kind of what I was expecting. And when the first time I felt her energy and she wasn't that, I was like, oh, okay. Just had to yeah. do a quick 360 on how I thought about things and just let her show herself to me and kind of not bring in any preconceived notions about her. Yeah, that's kind of how she's felt in the brief experiences I've had with her. So that's really interesting. She's a lot softer than I thought she would be. She almost feels like Odin, who feels like super cold to me, but like just more gentle. (laughs) How I personally see her physically as well. She doesn't shapeshift as much as her father does. So every time I see her, I definitely know it's her, but she does shift a little. The way that I see her, she's kind of tall like Loki is to me. I would say Max, like 5'10", 5'11", most. Disclaimer, I'm 5'5". I'm I'm pretty short. Um, So anything over 5'8 is tall to me. (laughs) I agree. So so she's definitely, she's tall, thin. I see her with red hair, like her father's. 
it's always her left side that's kind of the more the dead side a lot of people will either see her as like half zombie so you can you can see some bone poking through in places and everything's gross or or as fully half skeletal that's the part where she kind of shifts for me so i've i've seen her with that side being or looking like someone who's just died maybe a minute ago or two minutes ago or sometimes she'll show up and that side looks more like the old bog bodies that they would find in like the Irish peat, where it's brown and, and desiccated, but not quite like a mummy would be. I've seen her fully half skeletal and not the white of, you know, the, the classic classroom science skeletons. Like this is, this is old bone. It's yellow and shows its age. That's kind of how she showed herself to me as well. Half of her was that bone mm-hmm. the kind that you, you like see when an animal dies and it's been in the sun for a while mm. is how i would describe it she's also tall compared to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've yet to meet a deity that's anywhere near my height and i'm five foot two so uh <laughs> <laughs> would you say your relationship with hell and your relationship with loki would you say they're kind of entwined do they interact at the same time with you or like what is their relationship like when it involves you (laughs) they don't interact with each other and me as often as i thought that they would with them you know being father daughter loki i've been spouse to him since august of 2018 four years this year and hell came on kind of after the fact and it was definitely loki that brought me to her and in a way it was basically like here's my kid she's neat you should work with her too paraphrasing of course that totally and- sounds like him <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah <laughs> hell and i we had a very professional working relationship for a long time but in the past six months or so it's become a little more romantic and at first i was having a bit of a crisis because i was like oh god i'm dating a father and his kid that's weird <laughs> but with the gods you really can't employ moral situations like that onto them as easily as like if i was doing that in you know mundane life that would that'd be pretty weird probably frowned upon but not so with the gods and loki's totally fine with it he's he's occasionally popped in when hell and i are spending like quality relationship time together and he'll just be like no you guys are so cute i'm like thanks yeah and he'll occasionally pop in and try to embarrass her and she'll be like dad shut up yeah, I always get the sense that, like, she's daddy's little girl, his only, like, daughter. Yeah. <laughs> they seem very tight. <laughs> yeah, they definitely are. Going off of that, what do you think her relationship is like with Loki from what you've experienced, if anything at all? I mean, from what I've experienced, they are definitely very, very close. And I do think a lot of that stems from the fact that, well, one, Loki loves all of his kids. And we we see that even in the myths. Like, dude is there for his kids. And he always has been and always will be part of that comes from that but part of it i think is also just she is his only daughter and he definitely seems to dote on her a little bit not not more than the other kids from my experience but in a different way and i think it's again she's his only his only daughter that we know of so it Mm -hmm. makes sense for him to kind of give her a little bit you know extra attention or be slightly closer with her I also see Loki as a potential death-related deity as well. So I I think they might have a bit of a a working relationship too. Oh yeah, I can see that. Dagoff Lopson wrote about Loki kind of being that sort of psychopomp 
as well, given the fact that he's the fires of a funeral pyre. He seems to be the one that would hand off the debt to hell in that mm-hmm. way. That feels pretty UPG to me, but I can kind of see it with him in a weird way, but I, I've never really associated his fire with being like a fire god who burns things and gives them to the ether, more like a hearth god. So I, mm. I'm not sure my experience has been quite in line with that. Regardless, I still think he is a death deity because of the cycles that he kind of tears through in that way. And if you see death as just part of a cycle that starts again, then it makes sense, you know? Yeah, no, exactly. I honestly had never thought about it before, but listening to you guys talk about it, that actually does make a lot of sense to me. I had never made the connection before. I mean, he's like the catalyst, right? He's like that oops before you fall to your death and then... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, that's that's really gruesome. Probably not that gruesome. Yeah, just think of a like, uh, wily e. coyote hanging in the air for a second, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, also, like, death is just as much of a trauma as being born is. Like, there's a reason yeah. babies cry when they're coming into the world. So, Jude, I'm just curious. Do you have any, like, really memorable moments with how, like, either working or just together that you would feel comfortable sharing with us and the listeners? It's interesting. I associate her very, very heavily with ravens, which I know is typically something that people associate Odin with. But Mm -hmm. from the time I started working at the funeral home and all through my schooling and even now, I've found multiple ravens will kind of be around me at very pivotal moments in my my career and my personal life. The first funeral that I ever worked, there was a huge <laughs> flock of ravens in the cemetery, just chilling out, not making a sound, which if you've been around a raven for more than a minute, that's fairly unusual for them. They are very noisy birds and very talkative. The day that I started classes at my college for funeral service, there was another huge flock of ravens. If it was maybe just, you know, one or two times, I'd be like, okay, that's a weird coincidence. There must be a lot of ravens in the area, but it it kept happening. It was my first year of my apprenticeship. There were more ravens. Uh, Every time I drive to the crematory, there's always a few ravens at the crematory. They follow me literally everywhere. So I think that's kind of her little way of keeping tabs on me and making sure that I'm doing okay, even if she can't be around as much. I mean, ravens seem to be connected to death deities and other pantheons too. I'm thinking the Morrigan. Yeah, I'm I'm fairly certain the Morrigan is a a death deity and I know she's associated with ravens heavily. Yeah, she's actually on one of my tarot cards. She's on the death card, interestingly enough. When if you think about it, ravens in the wild, they're kind of omnivorous and they will scavenge just like vultures do. I also meant to ask about Helheim, the actual realm. Mm. Um, have you had any experience involved with it? or? Yeah, I've, I've seen Helheim twice. I do, in my practice, use astral projection quite a bit. And I did have a lot of experiences at the very beginning of my practice going to kind of different realms and learning skills in the astral in those realms that would help me with my practice. So I've been to Helheim maybe three times total. I, I kind of get the feeling that even though I am a psychopomp, and I do work with hell very heavily because I'm not dead. It's still kind of not 
my place. It's very much a place for them. So I've really only been on the the extreme outskirts, if that makes sense. So kind of the liminal space between Helheim and another realm. And I'm not even sure what that other realm would be. From what I can see of Helheim every time that I'm there, so I get new PG, is it's not this cold, dark, kind of cave-like place that you see a lot of times in artwork of Helheim or in depictions of it. And it's not fire and brimstone and lava and what people think the, you know, Christian version of hell is. It's from what I've seen, lush fields of flowers and old growth forests where the trees are so tall they could swallow you up. Rolling hills and rivers and just like every beautiful thing that you could see in nature is is kind of echoed in Helheim. Again, I haven't been to the main part of it and I haven't been to, you know, where I'm assuming Hell has a cabin or fort or I'm I'm not sure. I haven't been to her her main dwelling place there. So I haven't seen, you know, kind of the banquet hall that's described and the Eddas and, you know, I haven't seen where all of the dead gather to eat and any of that. But just from what I've seen of the outside of Helheim, it's it's not awful and it's actually quite pretty and seems like a, a peaceful and nice place to eventually go to. And that actually yeah. kind of echoes my UPG too, because the first time I met Hell, I was astral projecting. I was trying to go see Loki. That didn't happen. <laughs> Instead, she brought me there. It was a lot of trees. It was very peaceful. The section I was in was kind of autumny. Like it felt like fall, mm. but just very peaceful, very nature oriented. Yeah. yeah, that was kind of my experience too, actually. Like it was nice and like very beautiful and quiet and peaceful. And some people see it as more like a waiting room until you're reincarnated. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of someone gets reincarnated. I'm also not sure if every single person will be. Mm-hmm. So it definitely seems like a place where like if you are getting reincarnated, it's a beautiful place to wait. And if maybe you're not getting reincarnated, then it's a it's a pretty good place to spend the rest of your time. Seems like I'd be pretty content either way. Exactly. <laughs> what kind of offerings would hell like? So when I first started working with her, I wasn't quite sure what she would like because what the heck do you give to a death deity, you know? Then I felt... Uh, pretty fairly compelled to um, start offering her things like dark chocolate. She's got a bit of a sweet tooth, just like her dad does, but she's, as she says, or as I have heard her say, so UPG alert, she's got a more refined palate, so not not just... Oh, so doesn't, she doesn't eat everything in sight? Like no. no it's not, not a trash panda? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. So like, you know, fancier girl, I, uh, I got her a box of Godiva chocolates once, and... Uh, she loved it, <laughs> which I don't think of that as like super fancy, but she was all about it. I also have gotten black pillar candles that I'll carve her name into in runes and I'll burn those for her. The other thing that I have on my altar for her is a lot of bones. I started getting bones and things for Loki, but the girl also likes her bones. I've amassed a small collection. I so far have a fox skull, a raccoon skull, a couple of taxidermied bats, a few just random 
animal bones that I picked up from a, a local shop. And I make sure that everything that I get like that is sourced humanely and ethically. I don't want to go out and get taxidermy or bones or anything like that from something that was expressly killed for that purpose. It feels very wrong. I'm definitely not one to do the whole sacrificing of a life thing for my deities. I want to make sure that the taxidermy that I get is definitely the animal was found and then preserved, not killed specifically for that. I have gotten some graveyard dirt that I harvested myself. Sidebar, if you are doing this historic cemetery and not directly from a grave site, I always get mine from a tree in the cemetery because then you're not disturbing any of the spirits that are there. You're not disturbing anyone's final resting place, but it still has kind of the same oomph as graveyard dirt would be otherwise. So I have two very, very, very small vials of graveyard dirt that I have on her altar as well. But again, you don't have to do that, especially don't do it from active cemeteries, please. <laughs> yeah, taking from active cemeteries just sounds really rude. Exactly. To everybody involved. Exactly. I'm not one of those people that's edgy going into a cemetery <laughs> to, to take like cool photos of me like doing something nefarious or here's, here's, here's a pet peeve from Jude. I hate it when people go into cemeteries that are still active aka people are still using them on a daily basis to take pictures find a historic cemetery one that's not being used actively for burials anymore and take your pictures there if you want some cool gravestone shots those cemeteries need a little love and that way you're not you know taking photos of fashion wear or something while there's a grieving family two rows over so that's pet peeve corner for me but that does heavily come from my job and my practice because I definitely see cemeteries as these sacred places for families to gather and remember their loved ones, you know. Is there anything that you would like listeners to know about hell that would make them perhaps more comfortable? It Maybe if they want to start working with her. Maybe with the concept of death. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with just the concept of death because I think you really do need to be, I'm not going to say 100% comfortable with death because even though I work around it, literally every second of my day is surrounded by it. I'm still not 100% comfortable with it, you know? It is hard to think about, wow, one day I'm going to die and I'm not going to be here anymore and what's that going to be like? And if you go down that for too long, you can spiral and it's bad. So what you should really do is just, I find that education is honestly the best method of trying to get over death anxiety. And I'm not saying, you know, go out there and get a funeral service degree or become a medical examiner or any of that, but find reliable people from the funeral industry or even a medical examiner or a forensic anthropologist and see if they gave a TED talk and watch one of those or look up some books to read or try a YouTube video or two. Just make sure that what you're watching is accurate because a lot of what I feel like Americans in particular are afraid of is kind of the unknown. So if you give them some knowledge, then it becomes a little bit easier to deal with. There's also death cafes for people that are a little more like, okay, I definitely want to like talk about mortality and learn about what goes into a cemetery or how to buy a cemetery plot or here's how to write a will and look up and see if there's a local death cafe in your area and go to one of those where it's just a bunch of other people talking about death and just kind of normalizing it because it really is this part of life like the one great inevitability and I think once you kind of get to a place where you're maybe not having anxiety that death is around every corner then that would be a good time to try and reach out to hell if you feel so inclined 
I do literally think about death 24-7. And for a lot of people, that would be too much. But you know what? You find a good therapist. And I've become a heavy advocate for funeral education and have been contemplating making a an Instagram where I can kind of debunk some popular funeral home myths. I kind of want to just get my voice out there and let people know that funeral homes, you know, won't stuff your loved one with straw. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What I really want people to know is that, yeah, you know, hell a lot of times is likened to the underworld or to the Christian version of hell. And it's, you know, doom and gloom and everything is terrifying. And hell is also terrifying because she's half alive and half dead. And she's the ruler of the underworld. No one down there, you know, is happy or having any fun at all. From my experience, that's just not true. Hell is very warm and gentle and kind and almost motherly in a sense. I do get the sense from her that she she takes care of her own and she makes sure that anyone that enters her domain is they're going to have everything that they need and they are going to be well taken care of. So she's not this terrifying presence to be completely scared of. And she's definitely not someone that you need to keep at arm's length. You can invite her in. It's okay. If you like what you've heard here today, you can find Lightning Struck Lokians across various social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, WordPress, and Discord. And if the method you're currently listening to this on isn't your cup of tea, don't worry, we're probably on the one that you prefer. Check out our profile on anchor.fm, linked in the show notes below, for more info. And now here's a few last words from this month's hosts. Well, thank you, Jude, for being a guest on our episode today. It's been really informative and interesting. Do you have any places that you would be comfortable with people finding you, such as an Instagram or a Tumblr? Yeah, I don't really have a heathen Instagram, but uh, my Tumblr that I use for all of my heathen and pagan practices is uh, trans, so T-R-A-N-S hyphen heathen. You can find me there. Um, I post pretty exclusively about Loki and Hell and kind of what my work does. You can definitely find me there. Awesome. Sarah, do you want to go next? Okay. You can find me at Alan Fox Tumblr. Find my Etsy store, Leaves of Yggdrasil Co. You can also find me on my personal blog, walkingthelesserbeatenpath.home.blog. You can find me on my pagan Tumblr, which is The Raven and the Moon. I post a lot of witchcraft stuff, a fair amount about like Loki and Segan and just Norse deities in general. And then I actually just opened an Etsy account last week. Um, I know, it's really exciting. You can come find me at Spirit Spun Yarns on Etsy. And basically what I do is it's devotional yarn that I make. Yep, awesome. And you can find us, all of us, in fact, (laughs) on the Discord. It's a great place to chat with like minded people thanks for joining us again guys thank you jude it was awesome yeah of course and uh, we'll see you next time (laughs) (laughs) this podcast was made possible by the collective volunteer efforts of the lightning struck lokians community discord a haven of online practitioners dedicated to keeping pagan discussion spaces welcoming inclusive and discerning this month's episode was scripted by the hosts, transcribed by Ira Ulfrid Loftyarsson, and edited by Nicole Eliza Jones, with podcast logo by Mars Malice. To keep up to date on all our social media, and when our next episode is about to drop, check out the links in our show notes for more info.